A study was published in 2011 by the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. The study tracked 205 people, and they tracked them for a week. And here was the purpose of the study. What they were trying to understand was the, the, the power of willpower. They were trying to understand willpower, and they specifically wanted to know why does it seem like some people have more willpower than others? So the participants were given a BlackBerry, and they would get texted at random times and ask questions about what desires and temptations and self-control they were experiencing in that moment. Now, most of us in the room ascribe to the idea that self-control is an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other shoulder, and they're battling it out. And we tend to think of people with, uh, with strong willpower as people who are able to, to choose the angel at a higher percentage than they choose the devil, right? Uh, but actually, the, the researchers stumbled on a paradox. And here, here's what they found out. They found out that people who were best at resisting temptation actually reported fewer temptations. So the people who uh, were claiming or reporting that they resisted temptation were actually being tempted at a lower rate. Another way to say it is that those who excel at self-control rarely need it. Now hold that thought because we're going to come back to it in just a moment. But let me just say welcome to Hope City Church. I hope you're having an incredible day. I said earlier, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at, at the church, and you decided to show up on an incredible day, uh, celebrating with all those people who are taking their next step in their relationship with Jesus and, uh, and being baptized. And so today, uh, we're on a break from a sermon series. Normally, we take one topic, and we talk about that same topic for consecutive weeks. We call them series. And we're taking a break from a series, and uh, we're going to be starting a new series in two weeks. But today, I'm excited because I'm, I'm going to talk about um, how to live a more victorious life, which is really just a fancy Bible way of asking this question or saying this. How many people in the room could say, Jason, I, would, I could win. I, I could stand winning a little more at life. Let me see your hand. I could use a couple more wins. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what we mean when we say victorious life. Living a victorious life means living life in a way that it feels like we're winning more than the devil is winning, more than things are going right, more than things are going wrong. And I know that all of us in the room could, uh, could use a little more of that. So we're going to talk about that today. But before I go any further, uh, I need to just take a moment and just say... How incredible was Andrea last week? So good, right? For Mother's Day? Yeah. She's incredible. And uh, listen, I ain't no dummy, okay? I know that most of you prefer her preaching over mine. I get that. And uh, she's the best preacher in the house. I understand that. Um, and so I'm no dummy. I can't put her up here all the time, all right? But every now and then we put her up here, give you a little bit of what you want. You keep coming to me like, let Andrea preach more. No, okay? <laughs> She'll preach every now and then. And uh, yeah, so, hey, let me, uh, let me start our conversation today by asking you this question, okay? 
If you had to bet, and I'm not encouraging you to gamble this morning, but if you had to bet, okay, all the money you had, which some of you that makes you nervous because you have money. Others of you, it's like, no big deal, five bucks, whatever. Like, what's the bet? <laughs> you had to bet all the money that you had on picking the winner of a fight, all right? Now, the first participant in the fight is you. So before I tell you who your opponent is, how confident are you feeling right now that you're in the fight and you got to pick the winner? I, I got in one fight in my life in fifth grade, okay? Got the crap kicked out of me, and I've never fought again. Am I allowed? I said crap. Sorry. I just, like, I mean, never fought again. Just decided I'm going to use words for the rest of my life to try to get out of every situation. So uh, I'm not feeling confident at this moment uh, about the odds here. But the first uh, fighter is you, okay? The second fighter, your opponent, is the devil. The devil, okay? Now, there are no rules. He, he gets to use every trick up his sleeve and every weapon in his arsenal, okay? You versus the devil, and you got to pick a winner. Who you got, all right? Now, if you're like a super Christian, uh, you probably didn't hesitate to pick yourself, okay? You're like, hey, the enemy's under my feet. I, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Like you're, all right, good for you. Let me talk to everybody else for a second, okay? <laughs> Those of us in the room who are maybe still battling an addiction that we haven't conquered yet, those of us who, who you know, are, are still fighting some battles, those of us who have seen people that we love walk away from the faith, isn't it true that, that, that the battle, in a battle between us and the devil, like, we feel like the underdog? It feels like that he's stronger it feels like he's smarter than us. And, and some of you feel like you've already been in a fight with the devil and you barely got out alive. You know what I'm, Anybody relate to that? Like, I, I've done been in that cage match and, like, I barely got out. I have no interest in going back. Um, let me preface this by saying I know it's not true, so this is not a true statement. But if I'm being honest, sometimes... It feels like those of us whose lives haven't been ruined by the devil, it's not so much that we have defeated him, it kind of just feels like we've dodged him more than other people. And um, in a way, it feels like the devil just chooses certain people to pick on, and he just beats them to death. And those of us who haven't necessarily been in that spot, like, we just don't want to draw any attention to ourselves. Like, we're just trying desperately to, like, not draw attention uh, from him. And I know that, like, some of you guys in the room, you're like, yeah, yeah. I feel like the devil has been picking on me. Like, I was born with a target on my back. And, like, I, I hear you. I hear you. And um, here's why I bring all this up. Because... Ever since I was a kid, there has been this verse in the Bible. It just gives me the heebie-jeebies. I, I, don't, I don't do a lot of scary movies. Like, I, I'm not a big scare guy. And there is this one verse in the Bible that just, like, has always freaked me out a little bit. And I'm going to read it to you in a second. But just know that every time I read this verse, in my head, I hear the theme music from the show Unsolved Mysteries. All right, anybody seen that show growing up, Unsolved Mysteries, as a kid? 
Yeah, I watched a little too much Lifetime Network as a kid, and um, right here. Huh? Kind of freaky, right? Yeah, it's like I'm trying to sleep at night as a kid, and I'm hearing this, and every time I read this verse, I, I hear, so just for the effect, we're just going to leave the music playing for a little bit while I read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Are you ready? Here's what it says. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's kind of freaky, right? Like, that's a little bit crazy. Like, I'll scare you a little bit. You can cut it. Thanks, Cody. Like, some of y'all are scared right now, and I get it. Like, there's something about Ephesians 6, 12. Like, we wrestle not against flesh and blood and... And these rulers, and um, I grew up in a, in a group of churches, in a collection of churches that are really big into the idea of, of spiritual warfare. And uh, if you're not familiar with that phrase, maybe you're new to the faith or, or new to, to church, spiritual warfare is, um, it's kind of a Bible phrase, actually, but it is, it is describing the battle that is happening at this moment, right now while we're sitting here. There is a battle that is happening in a spiritual realm that we can't see, all right? So I don't want to freak you out, but I want you to know that it is real, and it is happening right now, that there are angels, there's good spiritual forces, God's spiritual forces, and there is the devil's spiritual forces that are battling for your life and for your soul. If you've ever been in moments where it felt like something stronger than you was coming against you or something stronger than you was helping you, you were right. Like there is a a battle that is happening and we call that spiritual warfare, all right? You can't see it. It is a spiritual realm type of thing, but it is very real and it's a big deal, okay? So I'm in no way making light of spiritual warfare, no way making light of Ephesians 6.12, but every time I heard this scripture, this passage of scripture as a kid, um, it always scared me a little bit, freaked me out a little bit. We were always using metaphors about battles and soldiers, and uh, I'll just be honest with you, I, like, I didn't feel like much of a soldier, Right? And, uh, and every time I would read it, I would, I would imagine in my head, like, these battle scenes from the Lord of the Rings or, like, just this epic thing that I didn't really understand, felt incredibly um, unqualified to, to be a part of. And it wasn't until I got older, probably really into my adult years, that, um, that this verse started making a, a little more sense to me. Uh, and, and I want to explain it to you this morning. Go, let's go back just for a second, Ephesians 6.12. And I want us to look at the first four words of Ephesians 6.12, all right? I'll put it up on the screen. Look at the first four words. It says, we do not, what's that word? Wrestle. wrestle. We do not wrestle. Now listen, I don't know a lot about war, but I know a little bit about wrestling, okay? <laughs> I, I'm, I never fought in a war, but I do know a little bit about wrestling. Anybody like me, you grew up watching wrestling? Come on, let me see your hands. Any re- I'm not going to ask you if you still watch it. That's, that's a personal question, but <laughs> like I grew up watching wrestling. I, 
my favorite, I, I'm not a guru. Like some of you guys, you can go like deep, okay? I'm not that deep, but my favorite wrestlers growing up were the Steiner brothers. Love the Steiner brothers. And I have a brother, and uh, we were really into wrestling. And we were so into wrestling that we would come home from school. This was like five, six, seven, eight years old. And we'd come home from school, and we would go into our bedroom and, and tie something around the bedpost to, like, make ropes, you know? And we would put underwear on on the outside of our clothes. This is a safe place I can share this with you right now. You're not going to use this against me, right? So we would put underwear on top of our clothes. We would wrap towels around our necks like we'd have capes, okay? And we would play walk-in music, okay? So one brother would go out in the hallway. The door would be closed. The other brother would be inside, already like on the bed, ready to wrestle. And the brother inside would announce the entry of the other brother. So the door would open. The walk-in music was playing. And you walk in like you are ready to rumble, right? And so we would, we would have the royal rumble, all right? And so the way that you got eliminated was you got knocked off the bed. But we each were like 25 different wrestlers. So this went on for hours. If you got knocked off the bed, you would just go back out in the hallway, wrap the towel back around your neck. The music would start playing. You'd walk back inside. And just wrestle. I don't know what my parents were doing while this was going on, but we just would wrestle for hours, Right? And, uh, and so, we, you know, we'd watch some of the pay-per-views and different things like that. And one day, my mom sat me down, and maybe she was getting concerned. I don't know. She sat me down, and she said, Jason, I, I think it's important you know, you know, wrestling is fake. This rocked my world. Like, I was, <laughs> what do you mean it's fake? I mean, I, I, it, Mom, it's not fake. I mean, this is, this is real. She said, no, no, Jason, it's fake. I just want to stop for a second just to help anybody out in the room because some of you look confused right now. You know wrestling's fake, right? Like I just, some of you guys are heavily invested. I just, I want to make sure, it's okay if you're into it. I just want to make sure that you know it's fake. But fake is not really the right way to describe it. My mom was right, but she was not totally right because it's not that wrestling is, is fake, it's that it's fixed. Right? So another way to say it is like, it's real, it's just rigged. Um, when somebody gets body slammed, they're really getting body slammed. When somebody gets clotheslined, they're really getting clotheslined. Sometimes they really do bleed. Sometimes they really do hurt their back. Like, it is real what is happening between the wrestlers. What's not real about wrestling is the outcome, Right? The, the outcome of the match is always predetermined. Before the match ever starts, the, the wrestlers know how it's going to end. So, with that reminder about wrestling, let's go back and read Ephesians 6, verse 12. Here's what it says. It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So a couple of facts. We do wrestle. There is a battle going on. We can't just stick our heads in the sand and, and act like everything's a coincidence or explain everything logically. Like there is a wrestling match going on. Another fact is that it is real. The tears that you cry are real. 
The pain that you feel is real. But here's the third truth. If it's a wrestling match, that means that the outcome is predetermined, right? It's real. It's just rigged. It's not fake. It's just fixed. And the Bible tells us what the outcome is going to be. 1 John 4, 4, he says, but you belong to God, my dear children. He's talking to us. He says, you have already won a victory because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. It's real. It's just rigged. You win. The devil loses. And he knows that, but he doesn't want you to know that. But the spirit that lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. So here's what that means. There's only one way you can lose. You ready? There's only one way you can lose. You quit. If you don't quit, you cannot lose because God has already determined that you won. I, I think my favorite part of wrestling matches, uh, and I tried to explain this to Andrea yesterday, and she looked at me like so confused because she's never watched wrestling. You cannot beat her at Disney Seen It, but wrestling trivia, you, you can win, right? And so I'm trying to explain this, and she's looking at me like, what are you talking about? My favorite part of wrestling matches was when uh, the wrestler was just getting annihilated, and it appeared that he was like knocked unconscious or something, and he's laying on his back, and the opponent is laying on top of him, and they're ready to go for the count. One, the ref's down there. Two, we're drawing it out for dramatics. The ref's hand goes up for three. It's up there. Come on, some of you guys know what I'm about to say. All of a sudden, that unconscious guy who was hit over the head with a chair is like, throws his hand up. And what could only be explained is like he was electrified. He gets this surge of energy, and he throws the guy off of him, and he gets up, and he usually does some kind of finishing, closing move, and he throws him down, and he hops on him, and they count one, two, three. Happened every time. Every time. And I don't know why I continue to use wrestling metaphors in my sermon today, but I just think it's important to know. And I felt really strongly, as silly as this sounds, that like some of you in the room, like you feel like you're down for the count. You feel like that it's over. You feel like that loss is inevitable. But like, I just feel like that there's about to be a turnaround in your life. Like that you're about to get a surge of energy, that, that it's not over yet. And that if you will not quit, you will not lose. You can only lose if you quit. So, okay, I'm done with wrestling metaphors, I promise, okay? No more wrestling metaphors in the sermon today, okay? But I do want to show you one more thing, all right? Uh, now, now that we know the truth about the fight that we're in, we need to know the truth about our opponent, okay? Now, when I say the word devil or, or Satan, everyone in the room sees an image in your mind, okay? Some of you see an ex-spouse, okay? Uh, I'm talking more about like more of the literal devil, okay? Um, and so there's some differences like maybe in our heads, but probably most of us in the room kind of see the same image. A couple of differences, but most of us probably see the same thing. We see um, a red figure with pitchfork and horns, some kind of scary looking monster with fire around him or something like that. Uh, I brought a couple of pictures like 
that's kind of gross, but that, you know, you kind of see that in your head or you see that uh, in, in your head. And listen, the Bible says that, that his one purpose, the devil's one purpose in, in your life is to steal, kill, and destroy your life. So I, I totally understand why, why um, he has been built into this scary and intimidating uh, larger-than-life figure. I get it. But is he really strong? Is he really powerful? Like, is, is this really who he is? I want to read a few verses uh, from a book in the Old Testament. God was speaking through a man, a prophet named Isaiah. The book's named after him in the book of Isaiah. God is speaking in chapter 14, and God is specifically talking to the devil. So we get to hear a conversation between God and the devil in Isaiah chapter 14, starting with verse 13. And here's what it says. God talking to Satan says, For you said to yourself, God's saying to him, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, God says, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. Everyone there will stare at you. This is my favorite part. Everyone there will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? Is this the one who destroyed the world and made it into a wasteland? Is, is, is this the king who demolished the world's greatest cities and had no mercy on his prisoners? According to God in Isaiah 14, when we finally get to see what the devil looks like, we're going to be amazed and incredibly disappointed. He, he won't be anything like the image that we've created in our minds. And so what's going to happen is when it's all said and done and we see him, we're all going to look at him and we're going to be like, really? This is him? This is the guy? You're telling me that the guy who caused me so much trouble all my life that felt insurmountable, that felt impossible to defeat, that like, that, that threw everything he had at me, you're telling me this is the guy? This is the guy? You're going to stare at him and, and you're going to think, there's no way this is the guy. And God's going to be like, yeah, that's him. That's the devil, Right? So I want to give you something that will help you today. I think this is really powerful and it's simple and it's silly, but so powerful. I've been using it in my life, and you're going to think this is crazy, but, but the next time that you are facing a temptation that seems impossible to say no to, the next time that you feel like you are fighting in a battle and you are losing because your enemy is so much more powerful than you, don't imagine that you're facing this guy. Because according to Isaiah 14, this is not what he's like. The next time you feel overcome by temptation and, and facing a battle that you cannot win, I want you to remember you're not facing this guy. You're facing this guy. <laughs> I'm being serious. You're not literally facing George Costanza, but I just want you to know that this is what the devil is like way more than the first guy. He's this short, insecure, disappointed, overcompensating man 
that has never lived up to his expectations in his life. That's more of who you're facing. And I know it seems silly, but the next time you're like staring at that thing or trying to say no or like feeling like the devil's always winning, just remember, he looks like George Costanza. You can't get that anywhere else in town right there. I mean, that is some deep, that is some deep teaching, okay? There are seasons in my life where it feels like evil is winning, honestly. If friends are getting divorced, addiction is taking lives, society feels like it's slipping. And if I think about it for too long, honestly, um, it just feels like the devil's winning. It feels like that, that his power is growing. It feels like he's making, taking ground and we're retreating. But it's not. It's not. He just hopes that he can get you and me discouraged enough and defeated enough to forget what 1 John says and to believe the lie that he that is in me is not greater than he that is in the world. But we know that's just another lie. He knows that if you don't quit, eventually you win. You win. He wants you to throw in the towel. Don't do it. What are you praying for right now? What do you feel like is insurmountable? What do you feel like will never happen? What do you feel like is a waste of time because the devil's too strong? Fighting an addiction, trying to save a marriage, praying for the faith of your family and your children. What is it? Listen, he's not as strong as you think he is. And the spirit of God that is in you is stronger than the spirit that lives in this world that's fighting against you. You remember the, the research that I told you about at the beginning about self-control and about how the the people that, that had willpower the most, we thought, actually um, were just in fewer situations that required willpower. Remember that? The researchers discovered something else, too, and I think it's important, an important lesson for us to learn today in our fight against the devil. Here's what they discovered. After studying the people who supposedly lacked willpower and self-control, so these are the other people in the study, they studied them and discovered that consistently having to make the right choice is exhausting. Now, that's one of those scientific findings. You're like, how much money did they spend on that test? I could have just told them that, that consistently making the right choice is exhausting. The people who constantly put themselves in positions where they were tempted to make the wrong choice but chose to make the right choice, what they found is that they were depleted and eventually made the wrong choice because researchers discovered that willpower is a commodity. It's a commodity. That the more you use, the less you have. That your brain actually gets tired when it's put in situations where it has to keep choosing the right thing to do. Here's my point. If your plan to beat the devil and to win at life is to just always make the right choice, you're a fool. It ain't going to work. You, 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 could, you could tell me that. You know that if your plan is just to always make the right choice, it's going to fail. Listen, the devil can't read your mind. 
He can't make you do anything you don't want to do, but he's really good at what he does, and he knows how to get your attention and to get you distracted. That's why the Bible says in James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee for you. Please listen to my advice. Don't try to fight him, just flee from him. Don't try to fight him, just flee from him. Because you only have so much power, so much self-control. It's science. Do yourself a favor. Do what Proverbs 4, 25, 26, and 27 says. It says, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet and stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked and keep your feet from following evil. For some of you in your life today, you feel like, that the devil is winning. And for some of you, he is winning because you keep trying to win on his turf. You're, you're trying to live, like, here's how my grandfather would say it. Let me just go old school preacher for a second. My grandfather would say, you got one foot in the world and one foot in the church. But here's what he means. He means that you're, you're, you're trying to take the new person that God is creating in you to old places and it's not working and you're trying to take the old you into new places and it just doesn't feel right. That you've got this battle going on between the old you and the new you and you keep trying to win and beat the devil but you're always trying to win on his turf and you're finding out that it doesn't, it doesn't work. Here's what I mean. You're, you're trying to still hang out with old friends but just not do what they're doing. How's that working for you? You're, you're trying to stay pure, but sleeping every night in a bed with somebody you're not married to. How's that working? You're, you're trying to kick a habit, but you haven't confessed to anyone, and so you're trying to fight the battle in secret. How's it working? Let me answer for you. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Eventually, you run out of willpower. It's science. You have to do what Proverbs says. Proverbs 4. You have to mark out a safe path for your feet. And I know, listen, I know if you're in here today and you're still not convinced that following Jesus is the best idea, you still feel like to follow Jesus means to give up everything you would naturally want to do and have to do a bunch of stuff you don't want to do, now, I understand that the safe path sounds incredibly boring. It's like trying to tell somebody who doesn't have kids how incredible it is to always be in sweatpants and hang out at Chuck E. Cheese, right? Like, I got friends with no kids who will text me at like 9.45. like, hey, you want to go see an 11 o'clock movie? I'm like, I'm in bed. Like, my kids have been in bed for like three hours, right? I'll go tomorrow at 12, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm in, but like... And so when you try to explain to them how incredible it is to drive a minivan, how many minivan parents we got in the room? Come on. How much room is there in the back of that thing? Seriously. But you try to tell somebody driving like an Audi, you'll love the minivan. Sounds awful, right? No, it's great. And so if you're here today and you're looking at following Jesus and you're like, that sounds terrible. I don't get to do what I want to do, be who I want to be. And I'm talking about staying on the safe path. 
You're like, man, the safe path sounds terrible. It sounds boring. Here, here, here's, here's my advice. Here's what I want to tell you to do. I'm being serious. Go find somebody who's been on the safe path. Just ask them. Just ask them how, how, how boring is it. Go find somebody who's been clean 20 years. And then go find the guy who got a DUI last night. And be like, hey, listen, tell me about your safe path. I know you don't get to hang out where you used to hang out. And I know you had to change some of your friends. And I know that like, but I mean, like, is it worth it? Ask him. Go find somebody who's celebrating 50 years married to the same person. And then go find somebody getting their third divorce. Just ask them. Tell me about the safe path. Is it worth it? Go find somebody with a, a paid off mortgage. And yeah, their car's a little bit dumpy. It's not near as nice as yours. But like, just, just ask them. Is it worth it? Just ask them. Here's what they'll tell you every time. Every time. Because the devil can't beat you. He can only wear you down. And God has already promised victory as long as you don't quit. So I know it's going to sound crazy for a preacher to say, but please hear me. Stop trying to make the right choices. And just get in the right places. Stop trying to make the right choices just get in the right places. And here's what will happen. Three months, three years, 30 years from now, you're going to wake up and people are going to want to know, man, how'd you make all those right choices? You're going to be like, I don't even have to make that many right choices. I've just always tried to stay in the right place on the safe path. Let's pray.